81-year-old Raymond Chappell was last seen about 9.30 last night. There were grave fears for him after spending uh, the entire night lost in the cold and wet. But we can bring you some good news. Mr Chappell was found alive about 30 minutes ago. He was helped into a waiting ambulance, obviously for a checkup. So after almost 12 hours lost in the cold and wet in Yanchip overnight, a great result. Raymond Chappell has been found alive. Fantastic work there by the police and SES. Episode 3. Grandad. My name is Grace Chapel, and I like things. I'm not really talking about nice clothes or gadgets, though those can be great too. But you know what I get excited about? Movie ticket stubs, birthday cards from 10 years ago, or pressed flowers still in the book you left them in in high school. It's the kind of stuff that goes in a shoebox under the bed, not on the mantelpiece. What is it that makes these things so important to us? And why won't we let them go? Join me each episode as I delve into someone's life, finding out about the treasures that they keep and the memories that those things preserve. This is Odds and Ends for Curio. During episode two, my guest Cal brought in a hat that had been worn by his grandpa during his childhood. We heard all about his grandfather's life, and, briefly, his battle with dementia. It got me thinking about my own grandfather, who was also in the early stages of dementia. It struck me how little I know about his life, and that I could be running out of time to find this out. So I decided I would interview my grandfather. Which brings us to the news report that opened today's episode. I'm afraid we're going to veer off the usual format a little today, I can hardly make an episode about my granddad without including the fact that he made headlines all over the country only a few days ago. The day before our intended interview, I awoke to several messages from my dad. That's always slightly worrying, especially when your eyes flick across and catch the words bad news without any context. Luckily, by the time I woke up, granddad had already been found, thanks to the effort of emergency services and volunteers. The scale of this effort is kind of mind-blowing. Police, paramedics, SES teams, helicopters, breaking news alerts on every major station, free coffee from the local Subway restaurant for those out looking. Some people searched all night, fearing the worst. Flash forward to me, waking up in my nice warm bed, never the wiser. The final message. He's been found. Cold, tired, but okay. He was hiding in the bushes a couple hundred metres from his nursing home. Apparently the police asked him what he was doing, and he said he was going to the rainwater pumping station, which is where his father worked, my great-granddad, who passed away when I was two. And there I was, selfishly thinking, there goes the podcast. I went and visited him the following day, when he was discharged from hospital, and to my surprise, he was pretty lucid, and, by the looks of things, happy as Larry. He doesn't really remember what he did but all of a sudden, all the staff and residents know his name. It seemed as though a little bit of attention was a welcome change for him. He loved the idea of being interviewed about his life when I mentioned it, so I popped my phone on to record. The audio quality isn't great, but it should help set the scene for you. There's even honky-tonk music playing faintly in the background. You'll hear Grandma occasionally trying to help out with his stories, but unfortunately, she's in a much more advanced stage of Alzheimer's and has trouble expressing complete ideas. So why is Grace Chapel off today? 
You're off work? Day off? Saturday. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's very hard to remember all the events. Grandad's nursing home room is startlingly bare. I can actually list every personal item on display, each one bringing fresh memories of childhood sleepovers and Christmas dinners. There's the cottage-shaped biscuit jar, filled with ginger nuts my whole life, the silver wine goblets, the frame filled with black and white photos, a pair of Degoya prints, including a nude which sticks out vividly in my childhood memory, the bedside table lamp from their old house, and Grandad's Royal Air Force Commission, framed on the wall. And that's it. Perhaps even more upsetting than this is the single bed that furnishes the room. Grandad's latest escapade means he'll have to stay in a secure ward for the time being, with Grandma remaining where she is. It's sad, but it's easy to understand that the home doesn't want to be featured on every local news station for having lost a resident again. Their possessions serve as useful jumping-in points for me to ask them about their stories. I think in this stage of dementia, they find them useful in the same way. It's funny, but I've actually never noticed the commission before. I ask him about it. What's the certificate you've got on the wall here? That's the uh, commission. Oh, for the army? Yeah, no, for the Air Force. Yeah. <laughs> I was uh, joined as an apprentice, boy apprentice, about the lowest of the low. How old are you? Fifteen. Wow. <laughs> Very young. And uh, at about 18, I started getting a man's wage, which was about 12 or 6 a week. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous, yeah. looking back at it. And then what was that big pay rise then? When I got commissioned? Yes, how was it? Oh, a long time ago. I'm sure you'll find the same bits of your life that's been... Tipped away somewhere. Yeah. Grandad is visibly delighted at the opportunity to tell me stories from his life. It's interesting. Because of his illness, it's as though he's more present when he's in the past. He tells me about meeting Queen Elizabeth when she visited his base, stopping for tea with Grandma and the other wives of the officers, and keeping an eye on Prince Philip while he was flying. He also tells me about monitoring Soviet planes from the air during flyovers in the Cold War. I ask him if there are any objects he'd like to talk about. Yeah. I've got a bucket full of stones, you know. Yeah? Do you? Yeah. From what? Yeah, rocks. Things I've picked up. Yeah. Quite a lot. <laughs> Where are they from? Uh, South America. Yeah. Texas. I wanted to talk about an object that I have been given by my grandparents on this episode. Some memento that I hang on to to remember them by. But when I looked through my old stuff... I could only find a china doll, which has remained in its box possibly since the day I received it, for some Christmas or birthday in childhood. I have it here now. It's quite beautiful. It looks a little bit like a, um, a Russian princess. It's got this pink silky dress and gold curly hair and a little fluffy hat. Though it does have those creepy glass doll eyes. But the truth is, I never played with dolls. Before high school, I was a tomboy through and through, and so the doll has remained in pristine condition. It was still in my room, though. The room I lived in till the age of 19, just sitting on the shelf. 
I'm glad I kept something that I'll be able to look back on when they're not here anymore. But really, it serves as a reminder of how little they knew me, and how little I knew them in return. I wish I could tell you all about my grandfather's life, like Cal did for his grandpa. But I never knew the story. For the purposes of today's episode, I've asked my dad to give us a little more detail about Grandad's life. See if you can hear that same old Yorkshire accent coming through. Dad was... Well, he was born in 36, so he was three when the war broke out and was eight at the end of the war. So their memories of the the war are like my memories of going to stay with Grandma and Grandad. You know, very much... You know, big things happening, so you do, you know, you remember things, like scary things, so they remember air raid shelters and bombs dropping, and Dad uh, went joined the Air Force at 15, I think, as a way of kind of escaping the working class background. 15 is actually so young. When I was 15, I had more than two years left of school. I went on school trips to Europe, and I worried whether boys liked me or not. And Dad, I suppose, you know, just worked his way up, um, became, got air crew, got commissioned, did exams, and the, the Air Force, of course, trains you, and he ended up working um, in Bomber Command as a Vulcan, a air electronics officer. So that's electronics officers are the people who sit in the back of the planes and run the electrics of the plane and speak to the air uh, traffic controls. That's not actually the pilot does that. It's somewhere out in the back. So a Vulcan bomber was part of the atomic deterrent. So they would have nuclear weapons in the planes. It's part of the Cold War. So if there was that Soviet incursion by airplanes, the Vulcans would scramble and they would be in the air. So they they could fly over Russia and drop the bombs in retaliation. And that was what he did. He did that for a long, long time. Really, uh, until I went to uni. So his job then switched from being the bomber deterrent to refueling the fighters that went to intercept the Soviets when they flew into airspace, which they did periodically just to test each other out. So um, he would be, yeah, he'd be on call and then flying. and So there's lots of late nights and him being away and stuff like that. Apparently, Grandad came from a long line of military men. His great-grandfather and grandfather both died in the Navy on the same day in World War I, Christmas Day. His dad's mum made him promise never to enlist, but come World War II, he joined the Navy as well. Thankfully, he survived, or I would not be here today. But he really, I mean, he always liked it. He liked flying and he liked, I think he liked the life. So they're all part, they were part of a kind of a, a team bit like Top Gun team, you know. And so there's a lot of, uh, I think, camaraderie. That's why, I mean, he's still in touch with some of those people even now. Um, when the when the first Falklands War came around, that was a real shock because no one had ever envisaged England ever going off to war ever in our lifetimes. So it had been such a long period of peace since the Second World War. So that was a, a real shock the system it was hard to get your head around it i think the whole country couldn't 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 quite grasp that we were actually fighting a war about some poxy little island in the middle of the atlantic um and then you know when the bombs started falling for real it was it all became a lot realer dad he actually did the very first um air reconnaissance trip 
flying, you know, basically halfway around the world to take photographs of the RGs in the Falklands to see where their defences were and everything. He was in the plane that did that first reconnaissance trip. And then later would be refueling, running, refueling the planes. They would um, escort the fighters down who would drop a few bombs and they'd escort them back. They, they, they couldn't stay long over the Falklands and had to come straight back. Yeah, it was kind of weird to think they were over there. Um, I'm not sure if he was in any danger. I, I think not. And then, of course, the first Gulf War, that was that started when just after we'd emigrated here to Australia. Um, and that was even weirder to think. Uh, by the which time he was approaching retirement age, 55 was full time. It was funny, being an Air Force kid, we moved around a lot. Before I went off to boarding school, when I was 13, we'd, I mean, I'd stayed in count, so many places, I, I'd, we'd lost count. We'd move every sort of 18 months to two years. We li actually lived in Limassol. Limassol is a city in Cyprus, which is the island off Greece where Halumi comes from. I've never heard much about Dad's time there, except this story about how they used to catch chameleons and keep them as pets. He was actually born in Cyprus, when Grandad was stationed there earlier. I feel bad I've never asked for this story before. He's really enjoying talking about it. There's a few other service people around, but not many. It was mainly Greek people. <coughs> um, so, yeah, we had Greek friends. I, had, I used to play with the kids, you know, because you, you're at that age, you just play with anyone. So I yeah. started playing soccer with local local kids. and yeah. So I was there for, th I think we were there for three and a bit years, so, you know. Just played a lot of soccer. Did a lot of soccer. <laughs> it was really, a, really idyllic place to grow up. I, I was talking to my dad at that time living in Cyprus when, when we were stationed there. They had a lot more money than, than they normally would, and things were yeah much much cheaper. And the Greek culture had a lot more was more bars and cafes, and that thing that that lifestyle was already there. And so they went from Grimsby, which had nothing like that at all, you know, a Sunday dance at the, you know, the Pali and the movies maybe and pub, pub life was the length and breadth of social experience in, in Britain. And all of a sudden, you know, they're living in this Greek culture. It's a pretty interesting story. One I feel like I should know. Perhaps I was too self-centred to show an interest. Or perhaps they never cared to talk about it. The voice you hear on the recording is actually a much softer version of my grandfather than that which I grew up with. When I was 17, he had a stroke, which we didn't think he would ever recover from. When he woke up, he was nice. I don't really know how else to say it. The grumpy old man me and my siblings had known all our lives suddenly became attentive to other people's needs and polite and afraid of being an imposition. I don't want to sound ungrateful for all the love him and my grandma gave me as a child, because they really did. They took me crab fishing and to fairs and to the movies. But at the age of 17, I finally felt I knew what people like Cow were talking about when they spoke of their grandparents with such fondness and love. I asked my dad if he has any objects from his dad he can share with me. Have we got that? Oh, yeah, there's a... There's a music box, which remi reminds me of actually when I lived with Grandma and Granddad. They, Grandma had and Granddad had this very old, it was a classical 
um, semi-detached kind of working class house uh, and they it had a sort of an outside loo which was then later made an inside loo um, that was really cold I used to I hate going to the toilet at grandma's house just one one toilet downstairs um, and I note that she had a fire when I, when I lived there they had a fire with, which she cooked over in the fire oh yeah an open fire which, was, which actually was used for cooking I don't know how we survived <laughs> <laughs> I remember being really cold there, um, and they had like things like because there's just the one loo and it was difficult to get to at night. Um, there were chamber pots under the beds, and it's really like like something out of Pride and Prejudice. I, t- I kid you not. Um, and you'd have to go and change. You'd have to go and have to empty the chamber pot in the morning. It was kind of weird. Um, Mum and Dad never had that sort of thing, but that was still the way when I was a early in the early sixties in in Grandma and Grandma's house. Um, so in their the front room of their house, their lounge was basically sacrosanct. You could not go; you were not allowed to go in there. As children, we were banned, and once a week, we were allowed to go in, accompanied, and sit down. And Grandma would, they had this um, three-dimensional kind of clockwork music box which was mounted on the wall, and you would pull a string underneath it, and it would play a song until the string finished. Um, and we had, we got to do that once a week. And that was the highlight of the week, by in a massive way. There's also Granddad used to sit in there. They had a a radio which was an old radio with valves, so you turn it on and you'd have to wait three minutes for the valves to warm up before you could hear anything. <laughs> and that was the only kind of bit of technology they had. It was it was the size of like a microwave now, and it was just a radio. All it did was, you know, AM, nothing else. So that's pretty cool. It's in the, it's in the shed at the moment, all those things, because they went into the home. I don't really know what all of this means. I don't know how to think about an 80-year life being reduced to a tiny array of mementos. It made me wonder what I would hang on to till my dying day. If anything, from the beautiful clutter I tend to surround myself with. What memories will I try to cling to once I struggle to remember on my own? Will I keep my degree, as Grandad kept his commission? Will my digital photo library survive the next few decades? Maybe I should print some off, so I can show my grandkids their heritage, and they can make their own podcast about it. The truth is, and... Look, I know we're all about objects on this show, but they've actually got a few great reminders that don't sit on shelves or in frames. They still have each other, and they have us, their family. Whatever it all adds up to, I'm glad I came to visit. Odds and Ends is a production of the Curio Network and hosted by Grace Chapel. We're produced by Jackson Usid and me, Ben McAllister. Our theme music is Warm by Joey Pecoraro. The news clip at the top of the episode comes from Seven News. We'd love to hear from you if you've got thoughts about the show, so find us on Facebook or Twitter at Curio Network or on Twitter at Odds and Ends Show. If you like the show, think about rating and reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you listen. It's about the most helpful thing you can do. As per usual, we'll have a new episode of our D&D podcast, How to Win Loot and Influence Dragons, coming this Friday, and a new episode of Still Interested, our film and TV reboot podcast, next week. Check it all out at curionetwork.com. <laughs>